Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. Too often, Christians are known for what they're against than what they're for. But what should we really be known for? Today, Pastor Quintana shares Christ's definition of what it means to be a Christian and will challenge you to live up to that in order to share it with the world. And the third and final part of his message, a world of opportunity. You know, identity is an important thing. It's a very important thing to us, isn't it? Our identity. Wouldn't you agree? Has anyone here ever been a victim of identity theft? It hurts. It's not good. We don't enjoy it. We don't like it. Someone taking my identity? No way. Identity is so important that there are musicians and artists out there that will change their name in order to have the right identity. An identity that they can market. An identity that they can package and make money off of. I want to share with you just some of these changes. I'm going to give you their real name. And I want you to try and guess and tell me if, who, who you think this musician is. Let's start with Paul David Hewson. Does anyone know who this is? Well, you might recognize him as Bono. How about Curtis Jackson? 50 cents. How about Oshia Jackson? I can, I can, I can, I understand why he changed his name. Oshia Jackson. That's Ice Cube. Robert Zimmerman. Bob Dylan. I knew you'd know that for some reason. Stanley Burrell. <laughs> no, it's not Robert Quintana. Stanley Burrell. I can see why he, he, he changed his name. Um, kind of hard to, uh, to rap out to, to Stanley. Uh, MC Hammer. <laughs> Stanley. Can you imagine Stanley? Just doesn't have the same feel. What's up, Stanley? <laughs> Just, I don't know. How about that? Here's a few more. How about Bruce Warner? Bruce Warner. Marilyn Manson. Yeah. You just can't really rock out to Bruce. What's up, Bruce? Just doesn't sound right. How about Anna Mae Bullock? Anna Mae Bullock. Tina Turner. And how about Gordon Sumner? Most of you will recognize him as Sting. Identity is an important thing. And like I just proved, many musicians and artists will change their name in order to have the right appeal, in order to have the right identity. I have to tell you, I've always liked my name, Robert Quintana. I say Quintana to American folks because it's easier to spell out, but it's really pronounced Quintana. I've always liked my name. And a few weeks ago, I had an identity crisis. I kid you not. I was on the phone with my mom, 
And my mom, my family is planning on coming up here for Christmas, which I'm so excited for. And I was telling my mom, I said, Mom, I said, I, I found this Cuban restaurant that I'm dying to take you to. It's called La Cuba de Ayel. Has anyone been there? It's a great little Cuban restaurant towards um, uh, Silver Springs. And I said to her, I said, and while I was there, I got to meet the owner. And the owner's dad was there. And so I started talking to the owner's dad. Come to find out, mom, they're from Pinat de Rio, the same little town that we're from in Cuba. And so we got to talking and, you know, he was all excited. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe you're from Pinat de Rio, that your family's from there. And, and I said, well, maybe you know my dad. His name was Magdaleno Quintana. And so he goes, Magdaleno, Magdaleno. That name kind of sounds familiar to me. Magdaleno, but Quintana, uh, Magdaleno. And so my mom says to me, well, son, he was probably, he probably knew your dad in Cuba by Magdaleno Perez. Mom, wait a second. Excuse me? What did you just say? Yeah, your dad, your dad's name in Cuba was Magdaleno Perez. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What do you mean it was Perez? Where did Quintana come from? Where did Quintana come from? She says, well, that was your grandmother's maiden name. I said, whoa, whoa, wait, mom, wait a second. I said, you mean to tell me that my dad's dad's name was Perez? And she says, yeah, it was Jose Perez. Now, she's telling me this like I should know this, right? <laughs> and I'm like, mom, wait a second. What do you mean that my grandfather's, my grandfather's name on my dad's side was Perez? Doesn't that mean I should be Perez? And she says, well, yes, technically. But she says when your dad had his name registered to get his birth certificate, his mom was the only one alive. And so they put down Quintana. I said, okay, wait a second. I, I'm still kind of spinning here. I said, don't you get your birth certificate at the hospital, she kind of chuckles and she goes, oh, son, your dad wasn't born in a hospital. <laughs> Says your dad was dirt poor. Your dad was born in a farmhouse somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have a car to go to the hospital. Says your, your, you know, your dad was born probably in a barn with a, a midwife. I was like, wait a second, mom, wait a second. Okay, so dad wasn't born in a hospital and his last name was Perez. I said, that, that still doesn't make sense to me because when they got married, didn't she take on the name Perez? And she goes, son, your grandparents were never married. <laughs> I 
I'm, th- I'm like, by this time, I'm like, mom, I'm going to need to call you back. <laughs> mom, okay, you're telling me that my grandparents were never married. They lived a lifetime together, but they were never married. They had three children. My grandfather's name, my dad's dad's name was Perez. And so all the three kids grew up their whole life with Perez as their last name. But then my grandfather died. And when my dad was in his mid-20s, they went to the city, they went to the government to get their birth certificate. And because my grandmother was the only surviving parent, was the only living parent, they had to take the name Quintana. And I was like, Mom, so when you met dad, was he Perez or was he Quintana? I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still. And, and he, she says, well, when I met him, he was Perez, but we weren't dating at the time. She says, you know, we only saw each other maybe once a month when I went to church. And I was like, so you only went to church once a month? <laughs> and she's like, well, son, we were poor. It was expensive to take the bus to town to go to the Adventist church. It cost five cents per person one way. And it was me and my brother, so it was 15 cents one way to go to church. That would be 30 cents round trip. We couldn't afford that. What my mom would, what what she's telling me, what my mom would do, what my grandmom on my mom's side would do is that she would sneak out, sneak away eggs. When she would go gather eggs, she would put a few in her pocket, take a few aside. See, because my grandfather wasn't an Adventist. And so she'd take a few eggs, put them aside, and then she would sell them to this Adventist gentleman that, that passed by their place. And secretly, she would sell the eggs to this gentleman. And then when she collected enough money to go to church, they would pay the bus fare to go to church. I was like, this is unbelievable. So you only saw dad once a month when you went to church, once a month. And uh, she says, yeah, he was Perez. Everybody knew the family as Perez. And then later on, he changed his name to Quintana. Then we started dating and then we got married and I took the name Quintana and then you're a Quintana. I'm like, this is why, I'm I'm telling you, I had a little bit of an identity crisis a couple weeks ago. And I got to thinking, you know what, I have no offense to any Perez out there, but I'm like, I'm really glad I got Quintana because I like Quintana. You know, PQ sounds a lot better than if my last name started with a P. You follow me. There are youngsters. I had to camouflage that statement. But you know, identity is important, isn't it? Identity is important. Who, you know, if you hear the word Rockefeller, the name Rockefeller, or maybe you hear the word Kennedy, identity is important. And what I want to talk to you about here today is what is the identity of our church? When people hear that you are a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, what do people think of? 
What do they associate that name with? Because identity is important. Now, fortunately, God, Jesus Christ, gives us an understanding and a definition, really, of what the church should be known by. We're going to get to that in just a second. But I want to ask you, what do people associate when they hear Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church? Because I'm a pastor, people ask me all the time, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm a pastor. And then they say, well, what church do you go to? And I say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, yeah, you're a Mormon. And I go, no, no, actually, we have nothing to do with Mormons. We're not connected in any way. You know, sometimes LDS gets confused with SDA. And so, you know, there's this idea that maybe we are like connected to the Mormon church. Sometimes I've said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And they say, oh, you must be a vegetarian. I said, well, it happens to be that I'm a vegetarian, but not all Seventh-day Adventists are vegetarians. Are you sure? I thought it was a requirement to be a part of your church. Said, no, no, no. We just believe in healthy eating and, and, you know, we believe in exercise and proper sleep and, you know, eating right. We believe in a healthy lifestyle. Oh, oh, okay, okay, I see. I remember one time I was doing door to door. I was going, I was prayer walking and I knocked on this one door and the lady answered and, and she said, uh, you know, well, what church are you from? I'm from the Seventh-day Adventist church. And she says, oh, you're the group that sends out these flyers with beasts and dragons coming out of the ocean. It's kind of scary. I throw them away every time. What is the identity of this church? More importantly, what does Christ say our identity should be? Now, don't misunderstand me. I happen to like Seventh-day Adventists. I think it says a lot about who we are as a people, and it really holds some of our our most important doctrines up. Seventh day, obviously, we we go to church and we worship and we, we rest on the seventh day, the biblical Sabbath. It is a day that God has set aside, he has hollowed it, he has sanctified it, and he said, this 24-hour period is ours. I love you so much that this is our time to spend together. I like the fact that our name says seventh day. And then Adventist, how can you go wrong with Adventist? We are a people that believe that Jesus Christ will come soon. We believe that this God who loves us will one day, one day soon come and set the record straight and will make all wrongs right. We serve a God that is coming back for us to take us home. We believe in his advent. I love it. Seventh-day Adventist. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to propose that we change our name because identity is a lot more than just a name. The question though again is what is our identity? More importantly, what does Christ say our identity should be? The scripture reading for today was that we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are his representation. We are his representatives here on earth. 
And, and wouldn't you think that if God says, okay, I want you to be my representative on earth, don't you think that it would make sense that he would also tell us, this is how I want you to represent me. In other words, this is how I want you to go and represent me. We're bringing an end a sermon series on evangelism. And we've already learned that evangelism or to be an evangelist simply means someone who shares or brings a good message. And in the context of the New Testament, that good message is the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that he died on the cross for my sins, he is risen from the dead, and we now await the fruition of the salvation or redemption story. What does Christ say our identity should be? After all, we've been called to go and to share. After all, we are his representatives. And so I want to share with you what Christ says our identity should be. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. 13, verse 34. I'm reading from the New King James Version uh, today. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Now here it is. Here is the identity that Christ wants for his followers. In other words, his disciples ought to be known by this one thing. When you think of the disciples of Christ, when you think of the followers of Jesus Christ, when you think of his church, this is what Christ says should come to mind. By this, verse 35, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, if you are my disciple, if you are my follower, if you are my church, You ought to be known as the group of people that love one another. In other words, love is just oozing out. When they think of a Seventh-day Adventist, they ought to think, oh yeah, those are the people that love. Those are the people that go around the community loving everybody. Those are the people that if you join their church, they're going to love you unconditionally day in and day out, 24-7, 365 days out of the year. They're going to love you. That is the identity that Christ wants for his church. I want to just read to you in case you're struggling with the with the word love and what that word means. You can turn there with me if you'd like to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I mean, because we, if we are to be known by the word love, what does the word love mean, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us a definition of the word love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll start with verse 1. We might just read the whole chapter here. 
It says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am know. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Folks, I believe in the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's why I'm a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I believe that we have the most comprehensive, most cohesive group of teachings, doctrinal teachings that's out there. It is foolproof. It is Bible-based I mean, you go through each one of our doctrines and it is there. You cannot argue it. But if we do not have love, what does it profit us? It profits us nothing. You see, because it's so much easier to just tell somebody the truth and then just walk away. It's just so much easier to just say, you know, you should be going to church on Sabbath. You know, this whole state of the dead thing, that the way you understand that it's not right. It's so much easier to say, listen, we believe in the advent and the second coming, but not into a script, in, in a secret rapture. And this is why, because we have all the text to prove it and then just walk away. Oh, but it's so much harder, isn't it? It takes so much more time. It really takes so much more surrender and selfishness on our part to say, you know what? I'm going to stick with this person. And I'm going to walk by this person's side. Through thick and thin, through all the pain and all the sorrow that they go through, I'm going to walk with them through all the addictions and all the struggles of life. I'm going to walk through them through all the financial struggles that they might have. I am going to love this person. I'm going to love this individual as if they were my own child. 
I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm going to get dirty and I'm going to love them as Christ has loved me. It's a lot harder to do that. But that is the challenge that is presented to us here today. The challenge that God gives us here today that Christ says to us is that your identity needs to be one of love. That when they think of Seventh-day Adventists, when they find out that you're a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ, that the first thing that comes to mind is you are that community of faith that goes, the faith that goes around loving people. That you're there through, through the thick and thin. You never give up on them. You never turn your back on them. You're out there on the streets knocking on doors and feeding the hungry and visiting the poor, visiting those in prison, putting clothes on those who are naked. You're the people out there loving. Jesus says that should be our identity. That should be the identity of his followers. You know, when he confronted the Pharisees, one of the things that I think really got Uh, Jesus going that, that really upset him was how the Pharisees went about parading themselves and puffing themselves up and just really just going around saying, we have the truth. We're the ones that are connected to God. And you can read it there in Matthew. He just went off on them. I mean, he teed off and he called them hypocrites. He says, you're hypocrites. You're nothing but whitewashed sepulchers. You, you look all clean and good on the outside. You, you show this perfect, you know, front, but on the inside, you're rotting bones. And then he says to them in, in, this, in this discussion that he's having with them, he says to them, you know, you go all around the world proselytizing. You go all around the world to, to convert one person. And when you bring them into the church, he says to them, you make them twice the son of hell as you are. And then later on, just a few verses later, he says, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You have forgotten what it's really all about. You have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which is to do justly to have mercy, and to have faith. These you ought to have done. Not forgetting about the other stuff, because the other stuff is just as important. I'm telling you, the other stuff is important. But you cannot sacrifice love. You cannot sacrifice showing the true nature of Jesus Christ in order to hold up what you might think is important. Jesus tells us what's important. And he says what's most important is that you love one another. You can prophesy. You can speak in tongues. You can do all the right things. But if you do not have love, you have nothing. I want to share with you a, a passage that I came across, a quote. I find this so interesting and it's so powerful. I want to read it to you just now. It says, the church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. We would agree with that, wouldn't we? We would say, absolutely. We're the, the appointed agency here on earth to bring men to salvation, to bring them into a relationship 
with Christ. But unfortunately, I'm saying we have gone about it the wrong way for way too long. There are some that preach salvation by theology. That as long as you believe a certain way, then you will be saved. God says, it's a lot bigger than that, folks. It, it, the, the bigger picture. I'm teaching you how to love as I have loved. I am teaching you that you need to love others as I have loved you. She goes on to say here, it was organized for service and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. In other words, its mission is evangelism, is to share and to bring the gospel, the good message to the world. But listen what she goes on to say. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through the church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his sufficiency. Sufficiency of what? What does that mean? That we show the world his sufficiency. That where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. The sufficiency of his grace. The kind of sufficiency that's the kind of ministry, the kind of evangelism that goes and it says, Christ is sufficient for all of your needs, for all of your wants. He is sufficient to cover all of your sins. The members of the church... Those whom he has called out of darkness into this marvelous light are to show forth his glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now listen to this that through the church will eventually be made manifest the final and full display of the love of God. That is what we're here for. As a church, that is what we are here for. As his followers, as his disciples, we are here to be ambassadors and representatives of Jesus Christ himself. And our identity needs to be the same identity that Christ had when he walked on this earth. That when people heard Jesus is in town, we need to go. We need, because in Jesus I can find healing. Because in Jesus I can find peace. Because in Jesus I can find purpose. Because in Jesus I know that I'm going to find someone who loves me, who cares for me. And will be there for me. And so I ask you, what is the identity of our church? I don't want to spend too much time on that. What I want to spend time on is, what does Jesus say our identity should be? What does he say that he wants his disciples and his followers to be known by? A church of love. Let's work on that. Let's concentrate on that. Let's set out 
to fulfill what Christ wants his church to be identified by, which is a church that loves. And that starts with each and every one of us here individually. You just can't leave it up to the pastor. You just can't leave it up to the elders or to the ministry leaders. That starts with everyone. As you go about this community and as you interact with people and you say to them, I want to min- love you. What is it that I can do to help you? I, I'm going to be here with you st- every step of the way. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Why? Because love endures all things, believes all things. You're there. You're not going to quit on them. And when they turn to you and say, well, what church do you go to? You can proudly say to them, I am a Seventh-day Adventist. And what they think of, I want to be a part of that church. I mean, if your church is made up of people that love, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. So it starts with every one of, un- every one of, a- one of us being an evangelist, going forth and sharing the good message, the message of Jesus Christ. And we do that enveloped in love. We do that saturated in love, oozing with love, so that we can fulfill what Christ wants for his church at the end of time, in the final days, a church that shows the full display of God's love. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the love that you have shown us. And you set us up here on this tiny little planet to be your ambassadors and to be your representatives. And Father God, it's sometimes hard to love people, especially when they're unlovable. But your word says that while we were still enemies, you died on the cross for us. And what that means for us is that maybe someone won't believe the same way we believe or act the same way we act. What it means is that despite that, we will sacrifice ourselves for them as we love them unconditionally in hopes that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can be known here in this community of Frederick as a church that loves. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link. 